Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you that you saw fit to, uh, to give a sacrifice for us as this song that we just sang. Thank you, Allison. And thank you, God, for the gift you've given her and this band and for us to be able to respond to you in that way. Uh, thank you for the sacrifice, the lamb that was slain on our behalf. And so we just celebrate you this morning, Father. We, we look to you. We need you to speak to us again as we start this day. We have uh, great expectations to hear from you today, to be changed by you today. And so just give you an opportunity to pray that for yourself. Ask God to speak to you today. Ask God to change you. And then humbly I'd ask you to pray for me that God would speak through me to be true and clear. Father, we love you. We thank you. We look forward to all that you have for us. All that you have for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a seat. How are we doing this morning? Everybody okay? This is hump day today, right? Uh, so, I know fatigue is starting to set in. Tiredness is starting to set in. That's okay. That's all right. We're all in the same place, same boat. But... Uh, don't miss out what uh, what God has for you today. Don't miss out, okay? And so we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. And a couple of verses this time. As we've switched characters again, we've moved in our story. We've actually fast-forwarded a whole bunch to get to the person of Abram. His first name was Abram, and God changed it, as He often does, to people who are important. You can think of people who God changed their names, changed Abram's name, he changed Jacob's name, he changed, who else? Changed Sarah's name, very good, he changed Saul's name, he changed all kinds of people's names because they were very, very important. This may be one of the most important, look at Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs with the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. That's pretty awesome. Abram was his first name. That just means exalted father. And God changed it to Abraham which means the father of many nations. The only problem is Abram and Sarai, when they came out of Ur of the Chaldees, modern-day Iraq, um, they were idol worshipers. The book of Joshua tells us that when God called them, they were pagan idol worshipers. Okay? And so what we're going to see is a beautiful story of faith and grace in the life of this person. So we're going to turn now back to Genesis. We'll be in Genesis chapter 15 today. Um, one of my favorite chapters in the life of Abraham. I want you to know something. In our story thus far, we have rushed through. We barely slowed down to talk about Adam and Eve. We barely slowed down to talk about Noah. All of that time was just squeezed into a couple of chapters. After that, we picked up speed again. And we rushed through time. 
almost at the speed of light, quite literally. We rush through time to get to Abram. And then we slow down. And we slow down for chapters and chapters and chapters. So we rush through hundreds and thousands of years to get to the person of Abram. And then we slow down and we almost see him year by year by year. When we first meet him, he's 75 years old. So he's no spring chicken. He's not a young guy. He's 75 years old, but he has no kids. He and his wife have had trouble getting pregnant for whatever reason. And we're going to find out in chapter 15 what that was all about. Let's look at Genesis chapter 15. After these things, we'll just stop right there if you see that. Let me explain to you what's happening. In Genesis chapter 12, God speaks into Abram when he's in Iraq. And he says, uh, the idols that you're worshiping, they're no good. They're false. Uh, because man made them, they actually can do nothing. They may have eyes, but they can't see. They have a mouth, but they can't speak. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have feet, but they can't walk around. I'm the real God. You need to follow me. And Abram, in that moment, says, okay. He puts his faith in this God who probably spoke in a weird way, maybe in a vision or maybe straight out of heaven. We don't know how he spoke, but he spoke to Abram, and Abram listened, and God said, I want you to get up from where you are, leave all of your family, take Sarah, and go to the land that I'm going to show you. I'm not even telling you where to go. I'm just sort of giving you coordinates. Get up from your city and go north, and I'll tell you. It's almost like when you get to the end of the street, I'll tell you whether to go right or left or straight, and Abram's doing this, and he's doing this by faith, and when he gets there... God says, I got great plans for you. I'm going to make you into a nation. And what that means is you're going to have so many kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and so on that you're going to be a nation of people into yourself. And I'm going to give you a land, a place where you can sell, settle and live. And I'm going to give you a blessing, my blessing, so that you can be a blessing to the whole world. Abraham is... The chief guy, you understand, Muslims understand Abraham as a major player in their religion. Our Jewish friends, which they are friends to us because we are grafted into them. Our Jewish friends understand Abraham as the father of their faith. There is maybe no bigger character in the Old Testament than Abraham. And so when we find him, he's 75 years old. God makes a promise, a land, a seed, a blessing, and we're going to go. And he's like, okay, I believe you. I trust you. Let's go. And he says this nation part, this child part is still in the back of his head, right? Wow. Uh, maybe I start now. I mean... I'm just saying, God, like, I know you're in control or whatever, but I'm 75 and uh, need, to get, need to get moving on this nation-building thing because that takes some time, right? Chapter 15 says, so after all of these things, he has a war, he's fighting for Lot, which uh, some of you guys acted out for us last night. We meet Melchizedek in the chapter right before this. All of these beautiful things are happening. And it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. His thing has not changed yet until chapter 17. The Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your, very, your reward shall be very great. Okay? Now listen, this is good. Abram said, oh Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, since you've given me no offspring, no kids to me, 
One born in my house shall be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man, God didn't even say his name, which is awesome. There's nothing against Eliezer. I'm sure he's a handsome guy, all right? I'm sure he's talented. He's probably good at cards, whatever. But God said, I'm not even going to say that guy's name because he's not important. I love him. Yes, I have a plan for his life. Okay, but he's not going to be your heir. He says, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. He took him outside at night and said, now look towards the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. Now this is God saying, look up and count. This is my promise to you. I want you to know our God is a promise maker and a promise keeper, right? There is not a promise that God's made, and He's made a lot of them. There's not a promise that God's made thus far that He has failed to fulfill. And the ones that He has yet to fulfill, He will. Our God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. So when He tells Abram, look up and count the stars. Now, Abram didn't know all that we know about the universe. Do you know how many stars there are? I'll just give you an example. You know how many stars that we can see with our telescopes? I'll just tell you this. If you count all of the individual grains of sand on every beach and every desert on earth. Got it? Individual grains of sand. If you could count every individual grain of sand on every beach and every desert on earth, there are more stars than that. There are more stars than that that we can see. Okay? He says, look up and count the stars. Later on, he'll tell you, count the, sea, the sand on the seashore if you can. Because that's how many descendants you will have. Alright? And then look at verse 6. This is big. Look at verse 6. This is a huge verse. This is the landmark verse. Earthquakes happen at this verse right here, and it sends out tremors for the whole rest of time, all the way through the New Testament. Paul is talking about this verse. The author of Hebrews is talking about this verse. Jesus references this verse. This is big, because this is how God works. Lest we misunderstand in our story thus far, and it's all about judgment, it's all about sin, it's all about obedience, he says, I want to make it real clear in this person who was a pagan worshiper, right? He was an idol worshiper, not a God follower, not a blameless guy like Noah or Enoch. He says, but I saw Abram over there tucked away in this small town in modern day Iraq and I chose him. I chose him. And I went and spoke to him and I said, Abram, believe in me. And he did and he followed me. And here's what happens in verse 6. After he looks up, in Abram's heart, there's no other place that this happens other than in his heart because nothing else happened. Look at verse 6. So Abram believed in the Lord and God, the Lord, reckoned it to him as righteousness. What that means in our language is as he looked up to the stars... And God said to him, that's how many kids you're going to have. In, in Abram's heart, he said, that's ridiculous. But I believe you. And God says, because of that faith, because of the belief in your heart that's invisible, Abram didn't act on it. In fact, he's going to act in the opposite way in the next couple of chapters. Uh, God says, because of the faith in your heart, you are acceptable to me. That's what righteousness means. That we are in a proper relationship with God. 
in a right standing with God. He says, I accept you fully, Abram. Now what happens after this is pretty amazing. I want to tell you a, a, something that they did in Abram's day when they made a promise between men. It's a little grotesque. It's a little bloody, but I want you to see what happens, okay? And so Abram and uh, his brother Haran, if they were making a promise to each other, maybe there was a large piece of land or a lot of money at stake, right? Abram and Haran would come together and say, all right, man, what's the deal? They write out the terms of the promise. I'm going to do this. You're going to do that. He was like, yes, you're going to do this. I'm going to do that. They write it. They sign it. Then what they do is they'll take an animal and they will kill it. Okay? And they will put half of the animal over here. Blood everywhere, do you understand? Half of the animal over here. And the two guys will hold hands and walk in between the pieces. Isn't that weird? It's kind of random. It's kind of weird. It's really bloody. It's kind of awkward. Uh, two guys holding hands. But anyway, two guys hold hands. And they walk through the pieces of the animal. What are they trying to say? They're trying to say this. Each one of them. If Abram and Herod in this hypothetical situation. Abram would say as he walked through the pieces. They're saying this. If I break my side of the promise. Let it happen to me. What happened to this animal? And we walk right between them. And Herod says at the same time, if I break my side of the promise, let it happen to me what just happened to this animal. And they break through, and that is a big deal. Very big deal, okay? And so right after this night where Abram looks up, perhaps the next day he continues the conversation with God, and he falls asleep uh, right after God tells him to do something, he says, take a heifer and a goat and a ram and a dove and a pigeon. Split them all in half, except for the birds. Put one half over here and one half over here. She says, okay, I got that. So he does that, and Abram's just kind of waiting. Nothing happens. Sun's going down. The buzzards are starting to gather on the carcasses, and he shoes him away, falls into a deep sleep. God visits him in a vision, wakes him up, and you know what he sees as the sun goes down? He sees uh, a clay pot called a brazier. It's like an old oven with a torch in it, hovering in the air, and it passes through the pieces by itself. It passes in between the heifer and the ram and the goat and the pigeons that are all been split in half, and the, the pot and the fire goes through. Now, what just happened? What just happened? There was a promise made. God said, I'm going to give you that many kids. And Abram said, I think that's ridiculous, but I believe you. I believe you. And God says, okay, let's seal the deal. Now, did God appear and hold Abram's hand and walk through the pieces together? No, because Abram has no part in the deal. There's nothing he has to do. There's nothing he has to accomplish. There's nothing he has to obey to get that promise. It is an unconditional promise. And God says, by appearing in a pot with a fire, he says, it's all up to me. And God says, the creator of the universe. Can you imagine? God says, if I break my promise, let it happen to me this way. Imagine God saying that. Imagine God saying that. But God has no problem saying that. Because he actually cannot break his promise. If he did, he would cease to be God. That's just who he is. 
He is so true that there's no shadow in him. He is so good, there's not a speck of darkness in him. He is so righteous that he cannot help but keep his promise. And so when he makes it, it's as good as done, which is awesome. Now here's the rough part. Abram is about 75 years old when God first promises him a son. Do you know how long he waits? I think one year would be long. For a promise that somebody's telling you if your dad comes in and says, hey, you know, uh, your 16th birthday is coming up. I'm going to promise to give you a car. If you had to wait till your 17th birthday, that'd be a long time, right? He didn't wait a year. He didn't wait two years. Um, he still had visitations from God. He didn't wait five years. Um, at one point, three angels show up. It's just one of my most favorite stories in the Old Testament because it's, a, I think, an appearance of perhaps even the Trinity of God. And these three angels show up, and they're talking with Abram, and he's been waiting more than five years, more than ten years now. Still no kid, still no pregnancy. He started when he was 75, right now he's 86. Okay? Still waiting. And the angels come and they say, hey, you're still going to have a kid. And Sarah, his wife, is on the tent on the other side. And she hears him and she laughs out loud. She laughs because she's like, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. My husband's 86. I'm 85. That's ridiculous. And the angels heard her and they said, Sarah, why did you laugh? And she comes out and she says, oh, I, that, that wasn't me. That was like the, the camel making a noise. I don't know what you're talking about. You know what? They're like, no, you did laugh. And she's like, uh, no, I, no, I really did. Okay. So they go on. Uh, he waits 11 years, 12, 18 years. You think that's a long time to wait? 20 years? Abram and Sarah wait 25 years. Until one day she turns up pregnant at 99 years old. 99 years old. In the midst of 25 years of waiting for a promise from God, they have all kinds of doubt. They laugh. They try to do things their own way. And God says, that's not the way. It's not going to be Eliezer. It's not going to be your way. I'm still keeping my promise. I have not forgotten about you. And then when it comes through, you know what they, the, one of the tribes last night said it. When this beautiful baby boy is born. They named him, fittingly, they named him Laughter. Isaac. They named him Laughter because Sarah didn't believe. And when they told her that she was going to have a son in her old age, she laughed. And she said, every time I see this boy, I'm going to laugh and remember that. And when this 99-year-old wrinkly woman is walking through town with a baby girl, a baby boy, everybody's going to laugh at, at me and with me and for me. It's going to be awesome. And so every time I want to see him or think about him or people see him with me, I want to think laughter because I'm so joyful and I'm so happy and I'm so grateful that all this happened. So all of those stars, can you imagine Abram, 100 years old? Do you know anybody with a, at 100 years old? They're not all that strong, all right? A 100-year-old man with a baby boy looking up, and he says this. All right, God, that's one. I can count to one. You got a lot more to go, right? How are you going to do that? 
got one. So what happens now? And, um, and that is where we're going to pause in our story. All of this momentum in the Old Testament, all of God's working. He says, um, men built a city for themselves. They started to gather around Babel and they were going to build a tower up into heaven that we didn't talk about. It happened sort of in between Noah and Abram. And uh, the hilarious part about that story is we're going to build a tower to the heavens to make us a name. We're going to do it. We're going to be famous. We're going to make us a name and we're going to reach God in the heavens. And they did all of their best. And it says that God looked down because they didn't make it. God looked down and smirked to himself and said to himself and said to the angels, uh, let's go down and help these guys out, right? They think they can reach me? Wow. Okay. And so God goes down, separates men and women with language, and separates them in different directions, and thwarts their ideas of making a name for themselves. And God's way of doing that is protecting them and uh, loving them. He says, the pursuit that you have to make a name for yourself is endless, and it's fruitless, and it's dark, and it's despairing. The best way of living is to make my name great. So let's do that together because that's where I have joy and meaning and purpose for you. So he thwarts them and then we find Abram tucked away in Iraq. Maybe he and his descendants are one of the people that were separated at Babel and they go that way and then God says, you, pagan worshiper, I choose you. There is nothing in you that makes me want to choose you except for my great love and grace. That's how God chose me. I'm sure about you. I didn't have much potential. God never looks at us and says, that guy, that guy, Micah, that girl, Allison, she's got a lot of potential. She's got a lot of potential. We all have great gifts and a calling in God, but He chooses us for one reason, because His great love. And his grace poured out on us. And that's what he did in Abram. Called him to a land. Made him promises. Look up at the stars. Look up at the sand. And after 25 years of waiting. That's a long time. After 25 years of waiting. We have a baby boy. And that's where we're going to pause. I want you to see. This story is all about a couple of things. All about a couple of things. God says. I am interested in faith. I am interested in heart. We said. Uh, Abram believed in the Lord and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. That is a righteousness that's by faith that we are accepted to, by God, by our faith in him. It's a heart thing it's from the inside out. That's one. The second thing is that God's grace is not merited by what we do, who we are, how much potential we have. It is a free choice that God chooses to pour out on us. So this story, the story of Abraham, is about faith and grace and a promise-making, promise-keeping God. We're going to continue this story throughout the day, and uh, we'll see what God does and what he, beautiful things he shows us. A hundred-year-old man holding a baby boy. All of the weight of the promise, all of the hope of this man and his wife are in this child after waiting 25 years. Holding him, protecting him, guarding him like he's made out of crystal, right? Because it all comes down to him. It all comes down to him. And he looks up at the stars and he says, that's one. That's one. 
Yeah? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for our great time together. We thank you for the story of Abram, Abraham and his wife and his new baby boy, Isaac. We look forward to all that you have for us in this story because we find ourselves in it. We find your great promises and your great love in it. And so, God, for this day and throughout this day, would you open that up for us? Open up our hearts to you that we would respond and see you in a new way. That one prayer I have for all of us today, that we see something new about you. That you shock us and with a profound truth about yourself, about your love, about your grace that we never saw before. We never understood before. Would you do that for us? Would you give us something beautiful, something new that sort of takes our breath away today? That's what we're asking for you from you. Uh, speak to us. Father, we say we love you. We thank you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. After Abram and Sarah waited 25 years for that first son, the one out of all of the stars in the heaven and all the grains of sand on the seashore, God came and visited him again and spoke to him again. And uh, this is the troubling part. Some of you maybe know this story. Some of you don't. This is how the scripture tells us. It says, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. I want you to know that what you're about to experience and what we're about to read together is a test from God. He often does that. He doesn't tempt people. God does not tempt people, but he often wants to test our faith, to test our intentions, and he did that with Abraham. So the scripture tells us what we're about to experience is a test from God, okay? And God said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. God said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. You just realize what God said? That God said, now that you've waited 25 years for this son, the only son whom you were hoping for and that I promised you, now that you have him, and you've maybe only had him a couple years, maybe he's six, seven years old, maybe he's 15, we don't know. Now that you have your son whom I promised you, I'd like you to take him on a three or four day journey to the top of Mount Moriah, that's where you are now, and I'd like you to take your son Isaac and, well, I'd like you to kill him on top of the mountain. I'd like you to sacrifice him. And we're thinking, God is not a God who kills children. God is not a God like that, but we know that this is a test. So what is he testing? What is he trying to test for Abraham? What's the big question? I think the question is, Abraham, do you love me for me or do you love me for what I give you? Do you, uh, do you love me, God? Are you um, here to worship me, God? Or are you interested in the promises that I make to you and the fulfillment of those promises? Is that really what your heart is after? Are you after me? Are you in, interested in me? And so he said, this this gift, this son that you've been waiting for for so long, I'd like you to sacrifice it. And so what, what happens next is very interesting. This is what happens. This is the very next verse. 
So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. I want you to know that Abram and Abraham was a man that his faith went up and down like this. Look at me. His faith did this. Everybody in the back, can you hear me back there? Abraham's faith did this just like ours, our faith does, okay? Abraham is the father of our faith, but his faith goes up and down just like ours does. He's a real guy, okay? And now here of all places, when God says, uh, this person that you've been waiting for, uh, I want you to go sacrifice him. The next verse says, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and told his son, we're going. There was immediate obedience here, which is a beautiful thing. You need to see that. And this is what it says. Saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He split wood for the burnt offering. So the wood that you brought up, you're a part of this. Split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance, okay? So it took three days of travel. And the whole time, do you think he's having conversation with his son? He's saying, hey, Isaac, I love you. Have I told you that I loved you today? Have I told you how much you mean to me? The whole time he's walking towards this mountain. And what is Abraham thinking? What is Abraham thinking? He, he maybe knows it's a test, but the Bible doesn't tell us that Abraham knew it was a test. If you know it was a test, then it's easy to pass. But Abraham's talking with his son, and the whole time he knows that God is wanting him to go up on top of this hill and sacrifice him. But this is what he says, something very interesting. This is what he says. It says, Abraham said to the young men that came with him, two guys are with him. You can pay attention because this is really important. Can you see me? Can everybody look over here at me? I know the sun's bright. We'll just be up here for a few minutes. This is what he said to the two guys. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there. So they're at the bottom of the hill. He's pointing up, and he says, you guys stay here. Me and my son will go over there. Now pay attention, and we will worship and return to you. You catch a, a significant part of that statement? Anybody? Anybody? It says, me and, the, me and my son are going to go up, and we will worship and return to you. There's a little hint of what Abram and was believing in God for in that statement. He said, Isaac and I are going to go up on top of that mountain. We're going to worship, and Isaac and I will come down. And so they walk up together. Can you imagine the conversation that was going on? At one point... Isaac asked an important question, and in our story, we're going to stop right here. We're going to stop right here because Isaac says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. This is important. The wood of the offering is on the back of Isaac. It's in his arms. He's carrying it up, and Isaac asked a question. Uh, took it hand in the fire in Abram's hand and the knife. So the two of them walked on together and Isaac spoke to Abram, his father and said, father, here I am, my son. He said, behold, you have the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abram said, God will provide for himself the land for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on. So the two of them walked on. And then this is the tricky part is when he had to communicate to his son, son, I'm not sure why, I'm not sure what God is up to, but you are the sacrifice. 
And so he took Isaac, this son that he had been waiting for for 25 years. Do you understand? 25 years, the only son. He's probably not going to have any more. He's so old. And he said, son, I'm not sure what's going on. I have no idea, but we're going to trust God in this thing. And I need you to lay down. You imagine what was going on? I'm not sure Isaac was very excited about this. I'm not sure he was a man of faith as Abraham was, but he laid him down. And this is what the scripture says. They came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I'm not sure what's going on in Abraham's heart, in Abraham's heart at this time. But as we continue our story, this is what it says. Abraham stretched out his hand. He took the knife in his hand that he brought up. He probably laid the other hand on his son. He took out his hand, stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. And it's high up in the air. And at that moment, we stop our story. Can you imagine what's happening right here? Can you imagine? A lot of you aren't fathers or mothers yet. But this moment right here is extremely important for us to understand that God said, I'm going to give you this son. He waited 25 years and then to test you, to test your heart. Abraham, are you, are you, do you love me or do you love the things I give you? Do you love me or do you love my gifts? Which are you most interested in? Do you trust me? Do you trust me, Abraham? Are you only interested in this son that you've been waiting so long for? And so it is at this moment that the test is over. It's at this moment that the test is over. Before a drop of blood is spilt, before pain is felt in a physical body, it's at this moment that the test is over and this is what happens. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, drop the knife. And so in a moment of fear and panic, can you imagine Abraham turns and hears the voice of the angel of the Lord? Do not stretch out your hand against your son. Do nothing to him for I know now that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. This is the moment that the test was passed. God now knows that Abraham was interested in him and not only what he gave, he was interested in him, not only his gifts. And so he and his son, can you imagine the tears in his son's eye? Can you imagine what they did? They stood up and looked and here's how it finishes. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him, over in the brush, there was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered that ram up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, the Lord will provide. This is extremely important. So, they came not knowing. They came not fully understanding what God was up to. This was a test. And they came and Abraham passed the test, the question. 
Abraham, are you interested only in what I give you? Are you interested only in my gifts to you? Now, that's the same question for you today. Men and women, students, are you interested in only what God gives you, in only the answer to your prayers, in only the things that you want from him? Or you really, is your heart after God himself, to know him himself and to say, God, you are the greatest gift, you and you alone, just you. If you never gave me anything, if you never answered any of my prayers, you alone and your love for me is, is enough. And so Abraham and Isaac, after offering the ram on the thicket, they hopped down from the altar and they left together in fulfillment of even the little prophecy that Abraham said to his two men down there, hey, my son are going to go up and worship together and we will come down to you. Can you imagine that? We will come down to you. And he named that place, the Lord will provide. In Hebrews, it says this, it's absolutely gorgeous. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, you see, this is always a test. It's mentioned all the way through our scriptures to un, so that we understand God was not interested in killing a child. This was a test. When he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises were offering up his only, only son. It was he whom has said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He considered in that moment that God was able to raise the dead. The scripture tells us that Abraham, when he was walking up with his son, thought that he was going to put the knife in his son and kill him, and that God was going to raise him from the dead. That was what Abraham thought. That was what his prayer was. He said, God, uh, you told me that it was through my son that we'll have this nation of stars, and you told me to kill him. The only way I can understand this is that after I put the knife in him and he dies, that you're going to raise him back to life. That's the only way I understand how this is going to work. And so that's what was Abraham's prayer. That's what was in his heart as he went up. That God is able to raise the dead, even from the dead, in which he also received Isaac back as a picture of what was to come. Now, let me tell you what was to come. This moment, this picture, is one of the most significant in our, in our entire Old Testament. Let me tell you why. A father willingly goes to offer up his only son in a specific place. Now, let me tell you about this place. This place, um, apparently nobody lived here when Abraham and Isaac came up together. But soon after that, a guy named Aruna bought it, okay? Just a couple more minutes. If you could pay attention for a couple more minutes, I want to tie all this together and then we'll be done. We'll be out of the sun, okay? Just a couple more minutes, but you need to hear this. Um, after this happened, a guy named Aruna came and bought it and they bought it up on top of a hill because of this nice breeze. And they would bring their wheat up here and beat the wheat until the kernel separated from the stalk. And then they would take that big uh, pile and throw it high up in the air. And as the breeze caught the chaff, it would blow the chaff that way. But the kernels were like rocks. They're hard and they would fall back down. And so the threshing floors of people were always up on top of a hill. And David, in David's day, fast forwarding hundreds and hundreds of years now to David's day, David had made a mistake and there was a curse on the land and everybody was dying. Tens of thousands of people were dying. Do you understand? 
And he came up on this very spot with some of his people and he's praying to God on this very spot. And he says, God, would you stop it? Can it be finished? Can it be enough? Can it be done right here? Praying, can you stop the judgment? Can you stop the death? And the angel of the Lord came and said, it is enough. It is finished right here. David was so overwhelmed by that, he went to Aruna and he bought this mountain from him. People began to live around it, and after many years, he gave it over to his son Solomon, who built the temple. Do you know where he built the most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant would sit? Do you know where the most holy place sat? Right on this spot right here. Right on this spot right here is where the Ark of the Covenant sat, on the Temple Mount in the temple. That's how important of a spot this is, okay? Now think about that with me. When our Father in heaven willingly offered up his only son, a lot of that action happened right around this temple, right? And just outside the temple mount, just outside the city, when that son was hanging on the cross, what did he say? Not unlike the angel in David's time. It is finished. It is enough. And at that moment, the curtain that separated this spot from all of you. The, there was a big purple curtain that separated this place where the presence of God was from all of you. You couldn't see it. You couldn't go in there. Only one guy in there went one day a year. That was it. On that curtain was embroidered angels that God put at the entrance of the Garden of Eden so that we couldn't go back into the presence of God. And now that the presence of God lived on earth in this place, those same angels guarded it. And it was at that moment, do you remember, when it says the son of the only father who willingly offered up his son as a sacrifice, when he said, it is finished. You see how all these stories are coming together? You see how all these lines are being tied together? Do you see that? When he says it is finished, that curtain that separates us from the presence of God was ripped in two from the top to the bottom because it is finished. And he says, now we can go back into the presence of God. Through Jesus Christ, we have access to God again by his grace, by his mercy, in our hearts, by our faith. This is a beautiful story. So when Abraham comes and willingly offers his son Hebrew tells us that this was a picture of what God would do. So here's the, the last thing. You've been wondering what is all this story about, and Genesis has been telling us, do not underestimate sin. You get evicted from the garden, one person kills another, and they write songs about it, and we're moving away from God. Uh, Enoch was rare. He walked with God, and then he was not. And then we have Noah, one of the best guys on the earth, and judgment comes. And so the question is, how is God going to solve the problem once and for all? We can't keep doing this thing. God's not going to flood the earth anymore. He gives us a promise about that. How is the problem going to be solved once and for all? And in this story of Abraham and Isaac, we get a picture of the answer. The answer is, our Father in heaven will give up his son as a sacrifice for us. Not a sacrifice that's like a goat or a ram or a dove or a lamb or even a sinless, excuse me, a sinful, imperfect person, but the sacrifice of God himself. That's what this story is. 
That's the significance of the story. And so we wanted you to experience this, to kind of feel like you were here and a part of it, so that the wood that you brought up was a part of this story, because this story is so significant in the story that we've been telling and celebrating together this week. Okay? Question. Do you love God for what he gives you? Or are you loving God for who he is? You love God for his gifts. God, I want something from you. I want a lot of friends. I want a good college. I want a good career. I want a good job. I want these things. I want that things. And God says, when you pray in the name of Jesus with faith, I give them to you. Are you interested in a relationship with God just from what you get? Or do you love God for who he is? For who he is and how much he loves you. Do you love God because he first loved you? Do you love God for the price that he paid to purchase you, to free you from the virus of sin and death? That's what this moment is about. And it pictures Jesus, the final solution to the great problem. We wanted you to experience this today. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you that we have a place like this that we can come up to Mount Moriah of our own and experience this horrible in beautiful moment in the life of Abraham and Isaac. We just pray, Father, that you would write it on our hearts, that this little moment that we've experienced here, we would not forget. You continue to teach us. We love you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.